This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Warden's Watch Podcast is now on Patreon, combining the Thin Green Line Podcast and the Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon to bring member-exclusive extra content, both video, audio, and with product deals as well. Become a member to support our podcast and get something extra. Search Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon. On this episode of The Thin Green Line, we have Tom Rowland of the Tom Rowland Podcast. And uh, thanks for joining us, Tom. Um, I should Didn't you make me say uh, the Warden's Watch Podcast when, when the entrance came in? Yeah. So you should do that for us, please, because that's, uh, that's how you have your intro. So do that for us, would you? Sure. I'm Tom Rowland of Saltwater Experience and the Tom Rowland Podcast, and you're listening to Warden's Watch. Uh, I love that. I love nice. that. So, but I didn't want to steal it because that was pretty. That's pretty uh, <laughs> you get, to your you show. <laughs> <laughs> but Tom, your 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 career in fishing has been uh, epic. Just uh, mm-hmm. reading about you, uh, starting uh, for your love of fishing in Tennessee, probably uh, trout streams, uh, warm water fishing, and then traveling out to Wyoming and becoming a big fly fisherman. And then it sounds like you landed your passion in keys. And after scuba diving in the keys, I'll tell you, I can understand where you can find some passion down there and. A, it's almost the next best thing to the Caribbean, uh, or maybe it's better. I don't know. So that's what we're going to find out today. Yeah, I, I would have to say it's better. Um, wow. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain why. But yeah, my, my career has been um, fantastic. I've been extremely fortunate. Um, you know, I started my career um, in Jackson, Wyoming, and I had the, the real good fortune to go to a guide school that was run by a very old school cowboy named Vern Bressler and Vern Bressler had been a, an outfitter most of his life. He was, uh, he was a real cowboy. He was a Wyoming boy born and bred and his son, Joe Bressler was taking over the business. And that's all he really knew was outfitting and fishing and both hunting and fishing outfitting. And, um, boy, they knew how to do it right. And I was just thinking about this yesterday 
Um, and I hadn't thought about it in a long time, but just how fortunate I was to land there and to learn how to be a fishing guide from people like that. Because when you don't know anything, you do what the people around you do. Mm. And Vern was just a perfect professional. Nice. Like, for example, I showed up to the shop in shorts one day and I had a beard. And he said, you're going to have to shave that beard. And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> and he said, and if you ever show up here again in shorts, it'll be the last day you come here. And I was like, okay, uh, that sounds, that sounds great. You know, I mean, I'm just a young kid, you know? And he said, he said, you look like a bum and people that come here don't want to have a bum be their fishing guide. They come to Jackson, Wyoming because they want a cowboy to be their fishing guide. And by God, you're going to look like a cowboy when you show up here tomorrow, you're going to have cowboy boots. You're going to wear blue jeans. You're going to have a belt. You're going to have a button down shirt and you're going to have a cowboy hat and don't bother coming in if you don't. And I was like, Yes, sir. I said, what about when we get to the river? He said, when you get to the river, you can wear your shorts. When you show up here, you're always going to walk into this shop looking like a cowboy because that's what people expect when they come to Jackson, Wyoming. You're in uniform. And, you know, I was just like, okay. And that was like one of the first lessons of being a fishing guide is far more than catching someone to fish. Being a fishing guide is is your 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 safety first, your an entertainer, you are an educator, you're a marriage counselor at times, you're, you're all kinds of things. You're a natural naturalist, a, a nature guide, you're a bird watcher, you are a, 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 a chef on the side of the river. You're all of these things. And honestly, catching fish is way down there. But, you know, like when you practice things day after day after day, all of those kind of things come perfectly natural. And then you can spend your time working on catching fish and working on being a better fisherman and a better guide. And, but all of these other things have to happen first. And that was really the, the lessons that I learned and didn't even realize that, you know, everyone didn't feel that way. Like that's not how everyone learned how to be a fishing guide. Um, so I was very fortunate there for sure. Nice. Mm -hmm. So in Key West, do you show up looking like a bum? Cause that's what people expect. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a funny thing. I didn't really, I didn't really think about that. You show up looking like Jimmy Buffett. Um, that's exactly what I was thinking. You know, you kind of need to, you kind of need to have a little of that going. But, um, I tell you what they do expect is they expect you to be on time and they expect your equipment to be in perfect working order mm. and you to be clean and, and, and your boat to be clean and all your, all your gear to be, to be good. If you looked a little bit like Jimmy Buffett, that would be, that would, that would be better. You know, the handlebar mustache, the, the, the long blonde hair, the, you know, that would be, you'd probably get extra tips if you look like Jimmy Buffett, but I did not look like Jimmy Buffett or a bum. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's funny. Nobody's ever asked that before, mm. but yes, that's uh, it, either way. Your, your, your first impression is, is hugely important. And, uh, you know, the first impression of the, of the day, and I saw it happen to guides all the time, or, or sometimes it would, you know, on occasion it would happen to, to me where for whatever reason, things just aren't going well in the morning and your clients are there before you and, mm -hmm. and something happens and you're backing down the ramp and mm. uh, I don't know, maybe you, you dropped your coffee at the time you're, you're driving down the ramp and it looks like you don't know what you're doing and you kind of do a little serpentine and yeah, yeah. You get it back together and, and your, your clients watching all this and, 
and you you pull up and you know you seem to be kind of in a hurry and kind of like running late or something like that and and if when you start a trip like that it takes uh, till about one o'clock to gain that person's confidence back right like right. probably three quarters of the day right like you, you you know as opposed to being there on time having everything working perfectly waiting knowing the person's name before they come down to the dock greeting them shaking their hand looking them in the eye and all of a sudden you know you've got their confidence when you leave the dock mm-hmm. and and it makes for a much easier easier day i thought no doubt no uh guiding uh as john knows uh we we've learned that it's 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 more about the the talking aspect and sometimes the the quality if you can get both of those together you're going to be very successful i remember <laughs> raft guide on the Golly River in West Virginia. This guy had this speech, and I just loved it. He'd tell everybody in his raft and, you know, get everybody set. And he's like, so you guys know the, the most important rule here, don't you? And everybody be like, you know, here's the water crashing down rapids. And they are, you know, they're they're intense. And, you know, they're like, uh, no, what, what, what's the first and most important rule is? that he goes, you got to look good. <laughs> and that would break <laughs> break the tension and everybody would laugh and that would start their day because, uh, you know, the, the Golly River is no joke when it's running. It's one of the top 10 navigable body of the waters in the world. And when you put in, you, you see all that white water to start and everybody was just that shock and off. They've never been there before. You could tell that the intensity and he would break the ice with that. And from then on, they just had an awesome day. It was just uh, so, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm John, I, I know you know a ton of guides and uh, boy, we could talk about guide gap forever well i think you, you know tom you made a great point when you said sometimes marriage counselor you know and, and you're finding yourself <laughs> more often really, than not, really actually. crazy situations and i've been the same way i mentor uh well you know did my law enforcement wildlife officer's career in california i'm up in northwestern montana now in the kootenai river so nice. you being from wyoming and having that trout background i'm in trout heaven up here mm. and get a lot of youth uh, that i mentor for trout fishing first time deer hunting things like that first time on the firearm and it's amazing how many personal stories and, you know, fallbacks they've had and things you're encouraging and, you know, advice on school and mentorships that go so far out of guiding or teaching the conservation sports, right? And you make these lifelong friends and man, it's just been incredible. Um, never seeing that because I was going to teach a kid to shoot at a hunter ed class and later take him out on his first deer or her first deer and on your lifelong friends. And, you know, you're giving them advice on the, the prom and dating and, you know, making good decisions. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it goes down a really personal rabbit hole, brother, and I, I just love it. And, uh, and uh, you, it you've does. seen it firsthand, so I'm resonating with that for sure. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many people um, came fishing with me, and they 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 were asking my story. And you know, my story was before I went to um, that guide school. The year before that, I worked in Yellowstone National Park. Oh, nice! And I was wow. a uh, I was a room attendant there, which I still say is the best job I've ever had. Even to today, it was an awesome <laughs> job. You're cleaning toilets, but that was you had to do that for about four hours a day, and then they let you go. And you had like uh, I think it was like 15 rooms to clean the year I was there. And if you could get those cleaned, and somebody an inspector would come behind you, and if you had done a good job, they're like, "Well, you can clean some more if you want, or you're good to go." I was like. See ya. I'm going to hit the rip. And, yeah, I would go fishing. And um, and so I would tell, like, you know, people, would, how'd you get into this? You know, and I would tell them the story of, oh, I started in Yellowstone National Park. And I'm like, how, how'd you do that? I said, well, there's this, you know, concessioner there. And when I was there, it was TW Services. Later, it was Zantara. And, um, and I said, there are concessioners that, you know, work 
the the national parks and they operate the hotels there and they operate the gas stations and other things and there are employment opportunities you can go there and you can live in the national park and man over the years i've probably sent a hundred kids there mm. where their their parents had been fishing with me and they're like that sounds like a great idea i get a phone call hey can you tell me one more time about how to get a job in in the national park and and they've gone to yellowstone yosemite everglades all over the place mm. and um it's just a great awesome. opportunity you know but but to your point it's like you you have an opportunity to kind of interject a, a different opinion than they probably than they probably hear on a regular basis and um and they pay attention to it and then today in this day and age where you know it's if you can get them outside of cell phone range (laughs) all of a sudden you're unlocking a part of their brain that has not been tapped in a long time because the phone doesn't work and so now they're resorting to conversation Mm. with with a cool game warden and it's like so this is what you do for a living. And then it opens up this opportunity for, you know, mentorship, like you're saying, and, and, and goes beyond that to friendship. And uh, it's cool. It's, it's a really cool thing. I think, I think just the outdoors does that in general. Like if you are disagreeing with someone and you go fishing for the day, rarely do you come back and the disagreement's even worse. Like you, you tend to resolve all kinds of yeah. things out yeah. there, you know? No doubt. Yeah, and I think, Tom, Tom, to your point, <clears throat> you make a good point of unlocking another part of the brain with kids that, especially the younger generation, that haven't been exposed to the great outdoors, you know, an early morning sunrise, the weather, the cold, the evening, the witching hour. Um, and I especially like getting youth from urban areas because mm-hmm. even if they've heard about it or watched it on TV or seen our shows, you know, they're watching it kind of like a tourist, you know, through a screen, mm-hmm. they're not experiencing it. And it's amazing how much those eyes light up when they do have to engage. You know, and and you're right. It it does. It kind of unifies, even if we're maybe sitting on different sides of the political fence. Especially because I come, you know, from from a lot of urbanization, a lot of you know left leaners, so to speak. And, and maybe there's a little bit of a difference, but it's always fun together, and everybody gets to kind of experience a new thing that really brings you together. And politics and you know family history just kind of go out the window. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the coolest thing about conservation that you're doing. And I know Wayne and I share that that same deal. And I, I think. We talk about all the divisiveness in the country through the pandemic and the political unrest and everything this our crazy nation got threatened with and how much the great outdoors was kind of the savior of that window. Wayne and I, you know, when we started the Thing Green Line podcast, I think we started it in March when the lockdown started because we were locked down. So we said, hey, let's do Thin Green Line, add to Warden Watch. And the big thing that was coming out was 30, 40% more hunters mm-hmm wanting mm. to be hunters, doing online hunter education, previously non-gun owners, never angled before. Now they're just getting into the great outdoors to keep their sanity, right? And hike and get on trails where they can. And they're, they're, they're buying firearms. They're getting training just to kind of have that self-sustaining capability and also, you know, enjoy the conservation lifestyle and, and not looking at the, right. all the violence in, in the country. Now we're, we're, we're uniting, you know, so playing to the positives. And I think it's never been more important what you're doing um, and what we're all trying to do on the conservation outreach front. I think it's such a healer for the, for the nation overall. So bigger levels it. and big rewards, you know, big mm-hmm. rewards that we're all sharing and, and what you're doing is just awesome in that realm. Thank you. 
Yeah, Thank making you. that connection. I always say when I take a picture, you know, I see the awesome sunrise on a turkey morning. I take that photo and I go to post it and it doesn't do it justice. It, you don't have that connection. You don't have that feeling. I was there and I am so disappointed in that awesome photo that I just posted because <laughs> it doesn't carry that stuff with it. And when you make yeah. that connection, yeah. It's just it's yeah, epic. I'll have to I'll have to send you my my friend's photo and anybody that's that's uh, that's listening to this. I agree with you with my photography skills. I take a photo <laughs> of a tarpon. I take a photo of a turkey. I take a photo of an elk, and it just is not what I remember. I mean, I was like the you know the, yeah. the sun was coming through the antlers, and it was just the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And you take a picture, and it looks like a snapshot. Mm-hmm. However, I have this friend. Uh, well, first, the one that I've, I work with most, Jason Stemple, he does a, a very good job. He's got an incredible um, Instagram, Jason Stemple Photography. But then there's another one, a, a guy that I worked with a long time ago, and his turkey pictures, I, I would, I'd like for you to check it out because he hunts in Florida. And he's hunting in these old Florida groves with the Spanish moss coming down and the turkeys are in there and he gets it to where the, the lights coming through the fan and he's hunting in a way that he's going to kill this bird and he knows where the sun's going to come up and he knows how the fan is going to be like, it's, he's taking it to a whole different level, yeah. but his name is David McLeaf. Okay. Look up David McLeaf photography on Check Instagram. And I think you'll look at those pictures and go, yeah, now that's how I remember it because he is able to <laughs> capture, he's able to capture like these incredible images. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, when you have somebody that's talented like that with mm. a camera, they're just doing, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to look at something and, you know, with your, with your eye, you can kind of move around and you're like, Oh, like, look how the light's coming through there now, or you can take two steps this way. And then when you pick up a camera, it just doesn't always translate to what your eye sees, but a great photographer knows how to do that and knows how to take the fork in the tree and have it pointing pointing down towards the the subject and right. and how to frame it like a piece of art and and things that you don't even think about, you know, that they're thinking about, okay, this is going to make a great picture. Now, if I can just get the bird to be right there, this is going to be outstanding where I think we would go out there and go, this is a great place to kill a turkey. <laughs> yeah. and it's going to make a horrible snapshot you know (laughs) but it's just a different kind of deal and that's what we have to do on the television show um that that i've never i I didn't expect it was kind of and it, it made me a much much better fisherman because of that because we would go someplace and and it's like okay they're here and and you know on a regular charter or a regular day you just go in there and fish and, and, and my producer is like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're just going to, no, you can't cast that way. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're right there, dude. If we move at all, we're going to spook this whole school of bonefish. Right. And he's like, no, no, we need you to cast, cast back this way. I'm like, yeah, but that's into the sun. I won't be able to see him. And he's like, yeah, but we can see you. Yeah. And, and I'm like, oh. he's framing, he's framing that shot. Yeah, mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you have no idea how hard this is going to be. And these might be the only fish we see all day. So I guess I can pull all the way around this school, which is going to take about an hour. And then we'll get there and maybe they'll still be there. And he goes, well, it's worth the risk. you know. <laughs> and so they start eating a sandwich and we start pulling around. And you know what? More times than not, the thing that I thought was going to be impossible, if you take enough time and you're patient enough, 
you can get all the way around and you can actually see them and and they can see them perfectly because it's down light you're like are they still there yeah they're there and you're like oh maybe i do see them you know and so then you get these incredible shots where it you know like a, a perfect shot for television is not a shot you would take normally because you're throwing into the sun you can't see the fish well we would normally be coming down sun to where you can see the fish well but it's just opposite and and those you know doing that i don't know hundreds of times over the years you just realize wow you know i just thought there was one way to do this and there's absolutely not one way to do this you can if you're patient and move slow you can make those fish be where wherever you want them to be right it's it's a strange deal but it really opened up a lot of uh knowledge to to you know i thought this was the only way to do it i thought you had this fleeting window of opportunity and that was it but as you learn more about the spot as you learn more about the fish you can you know they they will tolerate more than you think they will if you're super patient right so i don't know that's that's a an interesting thing about what learning stuff from like production but i'm still uh, learning i'm, I'm yeah, not, yeah. not patient <laughs> <laughs> well well tom you, you you hit it on the head man when it, when we start filming stuff and i do the same thing for the fingering line film series i host and produce for equal tv and the documentaries we've done for nra and, and various other things um it's not just a fishing trip anymore right it's not mm. just a hunt anymore now it's like an operational plan on how you're going to approach the animal, how we're going to set up that shot for stills and for video. And yeah, I really resonate because uh, on our first pilot film, we were down on the Southwest border of Texas and Mexico hunting out at Rams doing a long range segment on the ethics of long range hunting. We were in cartel country, you know, given, given my other hidden more story and Sam Pike, our cinematographer, who is a guru and has a great eye on stills and has that high level of camera work, which, you know, your show hits that as well. I can't tell you how many different approaches we took to get into a particular Canyon when we're like, dude, we can cut right over this Ridge. It's a 200 yard hike up this gully. We're going to be, you know, wind's going to be good. We're going to be out of view. He goes, Oh yeah, but the sun's all wrong. You're not going to, you're not, you know, you're going to be glared out. I'm not going to be able to get the animal, you know, with the sun rising off its back against the, you know, red rim rock and how good those big mature Rams look. And when I do the edit and I'm like, I gotcha, I gotcha. Okay circle the wagons and now we're on that hour and a half end around you know are they still going to be there and it's an all-day affair but man it's such a great process when you see the final product and you get that great shot and then it you do remember it you know and i know you your show's amazing i've seen the visuals and we're proud of our show because we put a lot into it um less is more we'll do less shows but have high cinematic value just so when people watch it they kind of feel like they're there a little bit more other than the cookie cutter hunting and fishing show that we've seen in the early days where it's just really linear. Um, you kind of see the same shot all the time and you're like, okay, kill shots coming. Right. You know, we're going to, we're going to hook a big bass or whatever. And, you know, given what we do so much, I'm like, you know, I can't really, can't really resonate with that anymore. That's not sucking me in. Mm. Right. So the photography yeah. I think is as beautiful as the process of. What yeah. We're I think what's important is like what you mentioned is, is that you have this, this producer or cinematographer that may not be an expert hunter, but they know what they want. And, right. And I think that's where a lot of outdoor shows uh, miss the mark. And some of it is, is by design because the type of hunting they're doing or the type of fishing they're doing is very extreme. So you have to have somebody that's used to doing that kind of stuff. You have to have somebody that can sit in the tree stand 
for a long, long time to get this certain animal. But there are also wildlife photographers that will sit in a tent for weeks to get a shot of a, of a certain animal. Right. And, right. and they've got it all set up. They're like, well, I could just sit right here and I could see him, but I want him to come around that corner and I want the light to be perfect. And I'm going to try to get this in the morning. And so they'll, they'll be willing to sit that out for that long where that's been one of the, 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 the big successes that we've had with saltwater experience is that our main producer, he likes to fish. He understands fishing, but he's really not a fisherman. And so he's not looking for the signature fishing shot. He's looking for like what you described. We want the light coming over here. We want this, we want that. That's going to make a great shot. And we would rather get one of those than 50 of these other ones. I like for it, yeah. a tournament fishing, you know, we, we, I, I started my career like before t- TV, I was doing a lot of tournament fishing. And so it's like, the goal is to co-catch as many as you possibly can, right? right. Or, or as big as you possibly can or whatever the rules were or as many different species or whatever. So the, you're just trying to get in there and get out as fast as you possibly can, where that's the opposite. He's just like, Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you got to slow down here. Like this is, we're going to get in zero or, or the camera boats way behind you. And, and, you know, there's a school of fish in front of you. And now we know enough to go, okay, well, I guess we just sit here and watch them until they catch up. Because if we catch one of these now, we're going to blow the school. Yeah. And they're, they're not, he's not going to use it. Even if they film it, they're not going to use it. Even right. if that's the only fish we catch, he's going to be like, dude, this is not, this is not on par with what you've done for the last 18 years. <laughs> you know? So it's good to have the people around. Uh, but when you're talking about, yeah, we just go over that ridge. There's, there's other issues, right? Like, are your cameraman fit enough to go over that ridge? And, yeah. you know, can, and so you're like, okay, you're not wearing the right shoes. Um, all right, we're going to have to go around, you know, or you're going to have to ride the horse or something. And this throws this whole other element. We're going to have to, you know, use this camera that takes a long time to set up. And, you know, it's not just like pick up your bow and arrow or your, or your rifle and sight, sight the animal and shoot it. Like that's, that's hunting, filming a hunt, filming a fishing trip. That's a whole different deal, but challenging, you know, yeah, and you've good. been at this like a it. long time, Tom. I mean, from the conception, you know, having an actual TV show to streaming. T- talk about that process because you went from these huge cameras, probably mounted on the front of your mm-hmm. boat or something, to now something small and handy. And you've seen this whole process. You've seen how I think the consuming public has changed from a TV to streaming. I, I just that that fascinates me. Yeah. And uh, well. You know, I'm not I'm not an old timer like like a Bill Dance or um, you know some of these some of these uh, Bill Dance, Roland Martin, Hank Parker, these guys that have been doing it. Bill Dance has been on the air for more than fifty years. Yeah, wow. and he was so a black and white. I don't have that breadth of experience, but what I do have when we started, you know, cable TV was the thing, mm-hmm. and ESPN was the biggest channel on cable TV. And when you bought a cable subscription you probably got about 40 channels. That was a lot. I mean, that was the premium tier. And you could yeah. get a cable subscription that would have channel 3, 9, and 12, ESPN, TBS, and maybe one other channel, right? Like you could get that cable subscription that would have 12 channels when we started. And so there was one, maybe one channel that was 24-7 
uh, I don't, I don't even think the outdoor channel was out yet. Um, so there were no 24 seven outdoor channels. So ESPN would put the, put the uh, programming on, on Saturday mornings. And that was pretty much it later. TNN started doing it and they had a big Monday night block, um, that competed with football, I guess, or maybe, I think it maybe it was Thursday. I don't know. They used to pull some incredible airings and pull some numbers. And we, we used to get like, um, we were on ESPN at one point and then we were on the outdoor life channel, which is OLN, which Mm -hmm. later changed to spike TV and then later changed to NBC and versus. And today it's NBC sports. Um, but it was that channel and we would do 350,000 people would watch our show on, ESPN on a Saturday and on Sunday we, we had a different show over there and we would do about 250,000 people. Nice. And there's not a show on TV that's doing that right now, except for, you know, the voice or, or mm. some big network show, right? They just don't because now when you get, when you get um, a television cable, you, you get 3000 channels, you get a satellite, you have, <laughs> right. you have even more than that. Then you have YouTube and you have, you have Vimeo and you've got uh, social media, not just any social media. You've got Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and all this other stuff that's pulling your time away. And you've got Netflix and HBO and on and on and on and on and on. You've got 20 different channels that are 24-7 outdoors. So that has been a big change, mm. first of all. The second change is that when we first went to get on TV, that was our goal, there were gatekeepers everywhere. And you had to pass the test of, are you legit? Are you, you know, are you going to embarrass the network? Are we going to be able to sell around this show? Can we promote this show? And there's only five or six slots. And are you one of the people that deserves to have that that slot? Mm -hmm. And so in order to get on TV, we had to build our resume to be legit. And that you absolutely do not have to do that today. Um, you know, we had to be national redfish champions and we had to have, you know, 50 tournament wins and all this different stuff, which, which we, we, we did that. And we started to, to do those kind of things and um, built a resume good enough to get past these gatekeepers. Like I say, that doesn't happen anymore. Anybody can do something with their cell phone and put it on YouTube and get more views than those shows, you know, (laughs) like, and they, and they do The other big change is is in the equipment. When we first started, um, the cameras that we were using were over $100,000 a piece. We um, rented them at first. Uh, there were no drones. If we wanted an aerial shot, we got a real helicopter at $5,000 an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would have, <laughs> we would have uh, three boats, you know, because in, in our show, we use a, a like a, a 36 and we used a 24 and then we use a sit, a skiff. And so we were like, well, we need running shots of all of those. So we would go anchor them and leave them in a certain place. And then we would tell the helicopter, okay, we're going to go right down here. So we get in the skiff and we'd run and they take shots of us like that. And then we run all the way to where we had anchored the 24. And then we'd quickly <laughs> anchor the, anchor the skiff, get in the 24. And then we'd run in that boat, shots. Get running shots, <laughs> doing all things, run by the lighthouse and do this. And then we'd run up to the 36 and we'd throw the anchor in the 24 and we'd jump in the 36, pull the anchor. And then we'd run in that boat. And by then our hour was up and it's 5,000 bucks. Now we got to, we have two of us and we have three boats and we have to figure out how to get them back. <laughs> um, but now you have drones. And so those hundred thousand dollar cameras, I wouldn't even use it to hold the door open now. Right. Mm-hmm. 
would do better a better job than than that hundred thousand dollar camera would back then and um but but there were there were a lot of uh barriers to entry one was the gatekeeper and and two was the cost of doing everything everything was so expensive and so if you wanted to be on tv it was a major major risk to get on when when we did and even and when you look back at where bill dance was i mean my goodness it was a total risk and and even then he didn't even he couldn't even you know hire like we one of our things is let's hire the best editor we can find okay there was no there was was not an editor when bill dance did it he he was editing his shows literally by by cutting the film and literally using scotch tape to put it together and all the old analog style yeah yeah i mean he was he was doing that and he was he you know i did a podcast with him and it was just incredible what what he was doing he did a show uh for his local um local channel and they wanted 26 episodes which is that's half the year and so he did 26 new brand new episodes one every other week is what he was doing and then you know he lived in memphis and so just across the road just across the road across the river is arkansas so he goes over there and they say hey we we like what you're doing we, we'd like a show too and could you do 26 episodes for us he's like yes i can without knowing anything about what it was going to take or anything so now he's editing two shows now he's doing now he's doing a show every single week yeah. and then somebody calls him from another place and says, hey, we'd like for you to do a show. But, you know, he never thought about, well, I'll just air these same shows over there. Yeah. <laughs> he did another show. He's not he doing running doing, yeah. separate audiences. something like 580 episodes a year wow. by himself wow. editing linearly. Now, that's paying your dues. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so no one has to work that hard anymore. That's yeah. another big change is now we have computers and we can edit and you can edit on your phone. I mean, literally what you can do on your phone is, is, is more powerful than what we could do the first 10 years of our show. Yeah. And, but with that, you know, the bar continues to rise. So you, 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 that's, that's the, that's the double-edged sword is the bar continues to rise with quality. And then every day there's more competition because you, you can, a, a kid on Christmas can get an iPhone and a drone and a, a Canon, uh, you know, $900 camera. And with those three things, or maybe a GoPro instead of an iPhone, like, so he's got a GoPro, a Canon camera and a, and a drone. And that 12 year old kid can produce something that's better than anything we produced in the first 10 years of our production. Yeah. And so, so now they put that on YouTube and, and there's competition everywhere. But, you know, it's sustained that the, the trick really is anybody can make something really good. The trick is, can you sustain it? Can you do that time after time after time? And either you're going to run out of patience, you're going to run out of time, or you're going to run out of money uh, for the most part. And so it has to turn into a business and you have to be doing it in a way that's sustainable. So eventually you have to hire somebody. Eventually, you know, eventually. It, it, it starts to level out a little bit, but still they put out a great video and that's another distraction from somebody finding your thing or whatever <laughs> that is. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. 
Uh, Tom, you mentioned a point, the harder, you know, the, the more we advance in production quality and I'm right there with you. And, you know, we're now we're, we're using 6K drones because we want that motion picture cinematic level for the outdoor shots, because that's what, you know, big viewers are looking for. That's what studios are looking for, whatever, networkers, streamers. Um, but I always struggle with just going out and having a hunt with somebody, you know, myself, you know, family member, friend or whatever, and feel like we, we do so much filming and we capture so much of it for social media or for the show. We love what we're doing, but did you ever get in that conflict where, excuse me, you're doing so much of it. You're not enjoying it quite as much. And you want to go back and just say, Hey, let's just take our phones for personal pictures. Let's not have cell coverage and let's go hunt. And I know I struggle with that a lot because the days when you started and Wayne started and I started, whether we're game wardens, guides, mentors, whatever, you know, there was kind of a purity in it before we started sharing all of our hunts. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a total blessing to be able to do that, that we get to do something we love and, and show people and they, they want to see it. But there's a little bit of a struggle when I do too much of it. And I want to back down and just kind of enjoy the personal experience. How does that affect you? How has it over the years? Because you've done so no much question. more of it than we have, you know, and I'm really curious yeah. at your level. Um, well, there's no question. I do what I do because I love it. Right. And right. I love, I mean, the original thing was, you know, when I went to Yellowstone National Park and I, first, I, I walked down the Yellowstone River for the first time and looked in the water and saw a trout in water so clear that I didn't understand what I was looking at. It looked like the trout was floating in the air. Right. Coming from Tennessee, I had never seen that, right? Like everything that we do is kind of stained water. It was mostly for largemouth bass and brim. And I never had seen a fish in the water. Magical. So now there's this hunting element to it. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm looking at. Why is that fish floating in the air? Oh, I'm standing on a high bank and I'm not even, and, and it's a laminar flow and the fish isn't floating in the air. It's That's just the water is that clear. And it, it, that was like lightning striking. And I, I loved fishing and, and sight fishing and hunting like that from that moment. And so I kind of decided at that moment, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Now nice. that's morphed a little bit and it's changed a little bit, but basically that's still what I'm doing today is I love that sight fishing. So I, I love it. I find that tournament fishing is different than that where you know, for a lot of people, fishing in a tournament will will suck the fun out of it, just like what you're talking about. Maybe maybe yeah. production will take the fun out of it. But I thought I looked at it as just another element to what I like to do. And I like the tournament part. But when I was doing tournaments, I enjoyed not doing tournaments as well. I right. looked forward to them. I practiced for them. I, I liked them. But when they were over, I longed to just go back to just fishing with my client. Right. And then when you're just fishing with clients all the time, you long to fish by yourself. And when you're (laughs) shooting TV shows all the time, you long to fish without all this production and just exactly. There There you go. Right. And, and so I, I do, I do feel that way. And I also, um, even with just, just taking pictures on, on, you know, for social media and posting them to social media, I'm also like, you know what? It feels really good to go out here and catch something really great and not even take a picture of it and and don't post it on social media and don't, because what is the reason that we're doing this? And I think a lot of people in the outdoors today do get kind of um, sucked into the idea that 
you're catching a fish so that you can post it on social media. You're exactly. killing a deer so that you can post it on social media. And, you know, while that's fine, if that's your motivation, that was never my motivation starting out because when, when we were all starting out, we mm-hmm. had, uh, you know, either a Polaroid camera right. or, or <laughs> a camera that had some fixed number of, of, and this sounds weird to younger people, but we had cameras that had either 12, 24 or 36 exposures. And unless you were carrying a lot of extra film, you might look at your camera and go, oh, I only have three pictures left. Mm. So I better make, I better just save these for the big fish that I catch. Or, I'm going to make a count. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that sunrise is so beautiful. Click. Now I only have two. Oh. Okay. So now you're like, okay, I caught this fish. It's 18 inches. It seems like a really big one. Take a picture of this. Click. Now I only have one picture left. So you catch a 22 inch fish and you're like, I don't know, maybe I'll catch a bigger one than that which you don't. And so then you end up the trip with one picture left and you didn't get pictures of anything. And I don't know. I know you guys understand what I'm talking about because that was the world we lived in. And that is not the world we live in today. So a lot of people get sucked into that, but I did have a, 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 an experience last year that just was so rejuvenating for me. Um, We went down to Exuma in the Bahamas and um, you know, the same thing happens when you're shooting TV shows. Now, not only do you have the one boat that you're fishing in, but you have a camera boat and you have right. a crew and you have all of this stuff. And so even sometimes I like to just get out of the boat because some of my favorite times have been like on this little place in the National Elk Refuge. You, you, there's a little creek there called Flat Creek. And you would, you would go out with a box of flies, literally the size of your wallet, one rod, You'd walk out to that creek, you'd find a fish rising, you'd work that fish for an hour, you might catch it, you might not, time's up, you know, and I would go after, I would guide. So I'd guide and then I'd go out to the flat creek, might have an hour to fish, two hours to fish. And you do it with just this tiny little amount of equipment. Right. I loved that so much. But when we went to Exuma, I found this place where you could wade. So we'd drive the car there, no boat necessary. And you would walk out onto this flat and there are bonefish all over the place. And I'm just walking in ankle deep water, one fly rod, a small box of flies, probably no more than 20 flies in my pocket, a spool of tippet and a pair of, pair of needle nose pliers or whatever. I didn't even bring my phone most times. Catching bonefish, I got my boys there. We're all fishing for fish. It was just phenomenal. Yeah. And and I thought about exactly what you're talking about. I'm like, this is so far from the production element of what we do. And it was so rejuvenating for me. And I just loved it so much. It's not to say that I don't like what I do on the production end. It's just that it's nice to get away from it, it yeah. and, and simplify things and get back to what it, the reason why you're doing all of this in the first place is because there's a bonefish over there tailing in ankle depth water. And I can have just as much fun sitting here watching that fish feed. And then I finally, I'm like, well, I guess I better throw a cast at it. You know, <laughs> maybe you catch it, maybe you don't. Right. But yeah. I've just gotten to this place in my, in my life where I, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not real mad at them anymore. Like, I guess there was a time when I was a lot madder at the, at the fish. Yeah. And now I can enjoy just kind of watching them feed. <laughs> 
and, and, and I wanted to catch every one of them, right? I, I mean, for a long time, I wanted to catch every fish. And if one got away, I was not super happy about it. And that's what's great about fishing as opposed to hunting is that you can catch and release and you can just catch all the fish you want. But, you know, um, now I'm kind of like, well, I could just watch that fish feed on by. And there's some kind of freedom, some kind of happiness that you get by just saying, you know what? I'm going to let you go or, or let not, you know, maybe you're elk hunting or deer hunting or something. And you let one, you let one walk. Like I could easily kill that thing right here, but That's I think great. it would be better yeah. or whatever, but there's some kind of freedom that you have when you're like, just letting that one walk or I'm letting that one swim by. That's fine. I don't even need to, don't even need to cast at it. And I don't know that I, I get what you're saying for sure. And I feel that way for sure. Yeah, brother. It sounds like you're we're we're on the same page. There's a balance, right? There's a balance when it's show after show after show because you know you put 110 percent effort into your show, your production team. It's it's an operation, you know, like on our special operations unit. It's like ramping up an operational plan to do the best job you can. Time is money. Sunlight's fleeting. So we're go 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 when we're doing shows, and I love that opportunity. Um, but when you can just go less is more, like the bone fishing story you just told, I'm resonating with that where your hair can be down, you're mm-hmm. back to the purity of it. And one or two of those events, man, just get me fired up to do the production. But, you know, it's that balance. So I right. just uh, was curious coming from your perspective, how you deal with I that. You do, a lot more than awesome. I do, man. you do a lot more of it than I do. And I, I, I see the passion you've got going. So I figured you had you had that balance going. I just wanted to do you know, that. The, the one more thing about that is that, you know, sometimes I can be totally satisfied to, to catch one fish. Some days I want to catch a hundred. But some days I'm totally fine to catch one, watch my boys or my daughter fish or something. And I'm totally fine with it. I've, 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 I've gotten out of this what I need to. And sometimes, sometimes on the production, I feel like that. I'm like, man, this was awesome. We got up early. We got this beautiful sunrise. I just caught an awesome fish. It would be so cool just to call it a day right now. <laughs> just, mm. yeah. Except we have 12 more hours of this. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People are like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. We've got three minutes of a show. We got to fill another 27 minutes here. So yeah. we get to work. Yeah, get to work. <laughs> and it takes 12 hours to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 12 hours for 27 minutes. So Shoot. all that yeah, B roll. is a lot more than that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so the transition to like, uh, to podcasting from video, uh, cause that's the way it went. And then Tom, you went, you, you, that's the transition you, you stepped into and, uh, doing very well too, by the way, I, some people have a voice for podcasting other, some podcasters I can't listen to and yours, mm. I hate to say it. It's like a calming voice and I like to, to listen to it. Listen to? Yeah, it's, it's one I can listen to. Uh, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Uh, it's probably my southern drawl. Probably. I, I don't know. The, the transition, the Yankees talk the, way too fast, and we say the word wicked yeah, a lot. <laughs> the transition to, to podcasting honestly didn't come from the television side. The transition to podcasting and why I felt it was kind of natural to me, if 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 it was, I mean, there's there's challenges in learning how to do anything, but... The conversations that we're having right now and the conversations that I have on the podcast all the time are very similar to the conversations I had with my client when it's just me and him on the boat and I'm pulling the boat or I'm rowing the boat and I've got this person for the next eight hours. And, you know, there's a lot of times where not a word is spoken. And then we start talking about something. Next thing you know, you might be talking about 
whether you believe in Sasquatch or could there possibly be a Sasquatch? And the next nice. thing you know, you're talking about this person's daughter or their son or, or, or challenges that they're having in their life or, or how they started their business or all the, you know, their son's a, a, a D1 football prospect and, and all of the things that they're doing in their training or, you know, what was your athletic background? Oh, I was wrestling and this guy's hockey and this guy's all this. I mean, these conversations are extremely similar to the to the conversations I had on the boat 300 days a year with with people that became, you know, like family. Mm. And I think that if if anything, that's kind of um, why I was drawn to podcasting, because when I listened to podcasts, I was like, this is just like talking on the boat. Right. So if you could do a podcast that was that you could get interesting people there and you could get them in a situation to where they would feel as comfortable as they do on the boat. And you could get these cool stories about how they started their business or, or, or whatever out of them. I think it would be kind of interesting. And um, I guess some people find it interesting. Some people probably don't, but um, you know, that's, that's why I like it. And it's been, it's been really cool because usually when I get a, a good guest, Almost always they say, hey, you know who else would be good is my friend, this person, right? And then you get these suggestions and and doors open and you meet new people. And I've just gotten great opportunities to, to spend time with some really, really cool people, people that you've heard of, people that are super famous and people that you've never heard of and mm-hmm. that are equally as interesting. And um, I, I like that very much. And the podcasting is a it's a creative outlet for me. So whether it, and, and it, it offers something else that the television show doesn't, we, we, we film 12 television shows a year. I might film a show now that won't come on the air until next year. Or there are times where we've even gotten ahead where let's say the weather was perfect on this last shoot. We had a, we had a 10 day shoot and we ended up getting 10 shows in 10 days. Well, that's a, almost a whole season. So then the next shoot that we have, we have another 10 days and it's amazing weather and we get another 10 shows. Well, now we have 20 shows. Yeah. So some of those shows that I just filmed wouldn't come on the air in 2023. Those would be 2024 shows. Out. Yeah. Wow. And so the rewarding aspect of, wow, we just created something. We put our heart and soul into this and now we can see it turn into this, you know, it's this, it's this bud that turns into a flower and it's like, that's so cool, man. A lot of times that is not at all the feeling you get in television because you create something. And I've heard actors, you know, talk about this, that do do big Hollywood movies or whatever. Sometimes they've done that. People are asking them when it comes to promoting the movie and they're like, I don't know, man, we did this like three years ago. Yeah, I did that acting three years ago and they just now wrapped up the movie and stuff. But my part was three years ago and I've moved on with my life and I've got other things going on. Yeah. And, and, and they're like, I went to see it and I couldn't believe how it all came together. Right. Because it's been three years now. Yeah, I forgot a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and it's never quite that long for us, but it is a long enough process. And if I want to have a guest on the TV show, it's quite a process to, to get someone's schedule lined up with, with our schedule, because it's not just me, it's, you know, three cameramen, a producer, a camera boat driver, the resort, does the resort have room for us? All of these schedules have to 
come together. And then if you're going to get somebody that's really busy, chances are they're not going to be able to, to, to do it or, or, or we can't do it on their schedule or they can only give us a day. And you know what happens then we don't see anything on the first day or we catch one fish and now we have a quarter of a show with this guest. We've done that a few times. So having guests on our show is not my favorite, but I do like guests. And like, if I met somebody today, like uh, this just happened. So I just got hooked up with, with uh, Michael Chandler, MMA fighter. He's Mm -hmm. the guy in MMA. And we're talking and I said, Hey, would you like to do a podcast? And he said, sure. Can we do it tomorrow? And I said, yes, we can. (laughs) And I can do it tomorrow. I could do it this afternoon. I could do it whenever. And I could have that show out tomorrow if I needed to. That is a lot different than, than the TV world. Right. And I do very, very much enjoy that. That if I have a creative idea, I can act on it right now. Hmm. If, there is a, uh, for example, they just did the, um, the, the, the Goliath grouper had a new uh, regulation to where the state of Florida, it's been closed. There's been a moratorium on all killing of Goliath grouper. The population has come back and they just passed this thing to where they're going to do, a, do a, uh, a trial period where they're going to open it up to 200 licenses sold for a couple hundred dollars each. And they're going to try this out. So I was like, I need to talk to somebody about that. Mm. So I get a scientist, I get, I get a, a, an FWC officer on the next day. That's cool. That's mm. more like a, a newspaper writer or, or a news per- person than it is the TV world. The TV world, for me anyway, and I know it's not this way for everybody, but for the way we do things, it's just such a long, slow process. And the podcast can, you can act immediately. So that's, that's a big difference that I, that I really enjoy. Hmm. Nope. Good, good points. And, uh, I certainly, uh, take certain podcasts and listen to them and learn from them. And certainly I've learned that, but, uh, hopefully some of the interviews I've done almost a year ago, they don't listen to this. So they, <laughs> because <laughs> <Right. laughs> i do like to have them in the bank too because schedules are crazy uh teaching college and you know organizing and stuff so i get quite a few in the bank and uh, i can think of a few people that are getting close to a year so but i try to get in that year and mm-hmm. um certainly certainly tom you won't be a year so you're, you're going to be the next thin green line <laughs> <laughs> well and, and, and to tom wayne and i you know we kind of we, we have the term on the team fill and flow and wayne a lot of times we'll get a guest that has that tight wind and it's a really interesting guest you know mm. that covers so many gamuts of the thin green line and we'll just go for it and mm. it'll be a day later you know yeah and absolutely it and it might it might be relevant to the time of year and we'll we'll accelerate that release or subject matter yeah and, and it does it goes down a rabbit hole of meeting really cool people mm. um, that you never knew were out there through this podcast format and um I'm, we're, we're enjoying it man your, mm. your show's awesome so it's, it's cool to combine forces on this Thank today you. especially yeah, I, I like yours too <laughs> I, I like it and, and you guys are riding this wave man you got joe pickett out there Mm. Uh, you know Joe Pickett? Do you read the CJ Box books? Yes. Yeah, you know, um, so, funny thing on CJ Box was at a Noia conference a few years ago when when my book came out and we did opposing book signings. And that was when I met him, started reading his stuff. And the first thing I thought, because it's a fictional deal, right? And mm-hmm. you can get a TV series out of this thing. And he kind of grinned. I think something was kind of in the works. <laughs> and that's just yeah. about to drop. So we're super excited about that. I'm yeah. watching it. It's out. Oh, is it? I, haven't, I didn't even know I'm it dropped. It. 
All right. Uh, it's really well done. It's really, okay. I, see, I've read, I, my, my friend turned me on to those books. I read the first one and I read the second one. Yeah. That's it. My friends read all of them. There's like 30 of them. And uh, I enjoyed them. I, I, I enjoyed them. I thought it was great. So when I saw it on TV, I enjoyed it. But I, my, my question to you guys was, um, is Joe Pickett, is that the river runs through it, which is kind of like, gr- it was good for fishing? Or is it like s- something else, which is like, maybe not authentic? Or I mean, how do you how do you see well, those stories? Yeah, that that's a really good question. And um they are because you can take some liberties when you're writing fiction, which is really cool. And I'm glad he's doing that because I'm a nonfiction writer so far. And so things are very linear that way. So for t- the TV world or the movie world to get into that, they got to be really careful, you know, that they don't over embellish because, you know, people can get offended and you have agency people and that. So they, they take a little liberties for, you know, the creative excitement. Um, there's a few unrealistic things that, you know, game wardens don't typically go down the rabbit hole of like, you know, say a mass murder case normally, or, you know, where it spins into where you're doing stuff that other law enforcement would do. But if there's just enough of us in it, I still think it's good. And here's why, um, you know, Wayne is a veteran of Northwoods law. He was on that show, um, mm-hmm. you know, game Warden reality show out there in your guys neck of the woods. And then wild justice was our show out in California. And I think it was the second game Warden reality show after Florida had theirs in your great state. Um, and it was on Nat geo and for a little agency of us at 400 officers and, you know, Progressive agency, a lot of diversity, a lot of skill sets, but you know, still people are like, what does a game warden do? We were in that mode. Mm. The reality show comes out and where we were finding it difficult to recruit and retain the new generation of kids to be game wardens that didn't grow up hunting and fishing. They live in the Silicon Valley where I was born and raised. Now they're watching, you know, game wardens on reality shows like Wild Just Northwoods Law and going, oh man, that's amazing. I didn't know I could do all that. I want to do that. And then on the special operations side, we were doing in Cali fighting the cartels, my SEAL team buddy veterans, Delta guys, you know, they're coming out of the sandbox from fighting the global war on terror going, I had no idea those issues were going on. And I'm a hunter and fisherman. I've been a conservationist my whole life before the military. I want to go be a game warden in one of those type of states. So those shows are really good. And I think long-windedly, and I'm getting to my point here. Thanks for bearing with me, guys. This CJ box is going to do a lot with this 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 uh, this Joe Pickett series, regardless of what they do with it, what they embellish. It's going to really, you know, it's going to put that hero back in the game. Mm. Right. And we are the fingering line. We're underrepresented. We learned through COVID and everything else that the threat on our resources, both water resources and land resources are just, you know, it's off the charts right now. And we need all the help we can get. We need awareness. We need, you know, guys like you and what we're doing here on the podcast, generating all this conservation awareness. Um, We need television shows, scripted series, reality series. I'll take them all Mm -hmm. because at least they educate the the, the non-consumptive user public on what's going on out there and people care. Mm -hmm. So um, I think this is going to be really good for game wardens. And uh, I didn't realize it already dropped. So I got to start watching it tonight when I get out of the woods after a bear hunt. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's it's on... um... It's on Paramount, Paramount Plus, right? Plus. Okay. So the way I got it, I don't have Paramount Plus, but I wanted to watch that. And Paramount Plus had something else that my wife and I wanted to watch. And so we got it through Amazon, which is free for us. Okay. And you can do like a trial period on, on Paramount Plus, And then, you know, they'll charge you whatever afterwards, but that's how we accessed it is through Amazon. 
Otherwise, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even know where to get it. But they were advertising it a lot, the Joe Pickett show. I mean, yeah. It was on in front of, uh, we were watching some big show. Ozark? No, that was on Netflix. I don't know. We were watching some one of the bigger shows. And the Joe Pickett thing kept coming up. And I'm like, I read that book. And so mm-hmm. my wife and I put it on the list that we were going we to watch that. And um, sure enough, the, the, first, the first series, which is like 12 episodes probably, is the first book that I read. Okay. So I already know what's going to happen. Yep. And they've done a good job. I mean, I'm, it, they've held my interest, even though I know what's going to happen. So it's well-produced. It, it's got good acting. It's shot beautifully. It's very high production. And, um, hmm. you know, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be good yeah. uh, for, for your profession because, you know, it's never good for your profession when they make somebody look like an idiot. And, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and that's where you know you, you've seen that with with fishing and stuff like that, where and and hunting for sure, where they portray the hunter just as a drunk old redneck out there, right? And then you'll have another, you know, uh, another show where that's not the way at all, or like for example, like a river runs through it. Now they made this beautiful story out of this beautiful yeah. book. They've got Brad. Hit out there. I mean, now everybody wants to go fly fishing, right? Yep. And and they did a very good job. They they and 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 I think that they got some good consulting back then. But that was that was a boom to the to the fly fishing industry that we haven't seen before or since. The closest would probably be the COVID deal, like we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of interesting because at that same time as that movie came out, we had all kinds of other technology that came out. We had better rods. The Gore-Tex waiter came out. So everybody is more comfortable fishing. The boats got better. I mean, I started guiding out of a, out of a 20 foot John boat. And then, you know, a, a couple of years later, there's not a John boat on the river anywhere. Everybody's in a, in a, in a <laughs> boat, a nice mm-hmm. And the customers are more comfortable. The, the, the gear's better. That's, you know, everything was better. Hmm. And, and I think that it just, you know, I think maybe all that kind of happened. It was like a little bit of a coincidence, but at the same time, you know, sales are up. Okay. Time to, Hmm. time to innovate, you know, like there's a lot of people here. We can sell a lot of waiters if we come up with something new, Hmm. which they did. They sold a lot of stuff at that time. But I I think the Joe Pickett thing is kind of a similar kind of deal for you guys. And I think cumulatively across the nation, I've been involved with four murders. I mean, we found a murder subject on a search and rescue mission. Um, you know, the, the chief of detectives, uh, Chuck West actually would call game wardens cause he was a trapper and he, he asked Chris Egan one day, he's like, Hey, I'm looking into this, you know, murder. They have a piece of property up here. Would you walk it with me? They, they found the gravesite of where Kelly Gorman was buried, you know, Chris Egan and, wow. you know, Chuck West. So, um, we just had two wardens find another murder suspect where he was decapitated and that's still ongoing. Uh, and then you think of John out West doing his cartel stuff with, uh, the Met team. You think a cumulative, and I can go on and on about these stories that we've had on Warden's Watch. You think about a cumulative nationwide, that's Joe Pickett, yeah. <laughs> you know, in every it book, uh, cumulatively. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, and it, and it, it's really, really broadened um, the awareness, Tom, like we're talking about of what game wardens do that we mm. kind of have to be jack of all trades as law enforcement guys. Cause what we run across in the sticks with that focus on, on conservation, right. On wildlife protection. Mm. But um, I think 
what Paramount Plus is doing, and I'm glad Paramount Plus got this because speaking of that network, you know, they have the Yellowstone franchise that mm-hmm. Taylor Sheridan's brought in. And yeah, that's what it was that I wanted to watch. I watched that 1886. <laughs> 1883. Yeah. 1883. Yeah. That was just, I mean, talk about wow. a great show. And, um, you know, and what he's doing with that overall. The cattleman, the fly fisherman. I saw in episodes of Yellowstone with Costner on his ranch. They were bringing that, you know, fly fishing with his grandson on that river, way hidden deep on his on his ranch, and that gave me flashbacks to River Runs Through It. You know, right there. I mean, it was just amazing, and I'm glad to see that coming back. And it's such a hit now in you know a nation that seems to be doing less and less of it so maybe we are doing more and more of it you know maybe this is a, a push in the right direction for what we're all about mm-hmm. and uh and you having joe picking on that same network is is just more of that so it can't hurt us brother yeah. it, it, i always it all, say police in the woods yeah. police in the woods i uh, you know yeah whether it's a homicide or something uh you know we get involved usually because they take grab the game warden he's the the swiss army knife of law enforcement uh and that's what they want so it's it's really cool so yeah there's, there's a lot of good game warden things going on so um but no thanks tom uh we'll wrap it up here uh we really appreciate uh a, a your support um you know that's how we met uh for certainly when i uh jumped on the, the waypoint podcast team um so it was a good connection i appreciate that and uh yeah just uh listening to you and learning as a very new podcaster uh you know wondering why you do what you do and then trying to figure that out it's kind of fun uh for me uh i do it I'm, with others too i'm learning every day so uh, don't don't <laughs> we'll keep don't, sharing don't follow it like a like a like a map because, no, uh, no believe me i i, I do I'm, a I'm lot drawing the map as i go <laughs> When you find successes, please give me a call. <laughs> uh, I will. I will. I appreciate you guys having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. It was fun. Mm. Uh, you guys got some great stories. I'd like to have both of you back on on my cat on my podcast as well. And uh, I'd love to do it. Over some of those uh, over those some of those game warden stories and the and the cartel stories. That sounds yes. fascinating. Mm. Uh, Tom, I gotta I gotta say thanks for being on. It's good to meet you finally visually. And uh, I gotta ask this one question before you close out. You're doing a lot of saltwater now the show you're down in florida but you got that passion for trout up in the up in my neck of the woods you still get back and do a little trout fishing i i know I you gotta want to or do it yeah i do i have two boys um my my son turner he's 25 uh my son hayden is 23 and they both live in bozeman montana so i'm out there Ooh. a good bit i'm gonna be elk hunting for three weeks um out in montana this fall so we're going to hunt for a week. We're going to take a week off and then we're going to hunt another week. So maybe there'd be an opportunity to come up there and see you. I, I don't think I've ever been to your area in Montana. I mean, I've, I've certainly around about 200 miles around Yellowstone in right. Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana. I spent a tremendous amount of time there, but when you start going up towards Glacier or, or, right. you know, other places in Montana, I don't have as much experience. And I know there's some really unbelievable stuff there in Idaho, other places in Wyoming. I would love to see it. I, I trout fishing is, I mean, that is so close to my heart that that's something that I would never get tired of. Love it. Every type of it. I love it. It's fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Well, you have an open invite and we'll get you on our Kootenai River out my back door and some of my High Lake stuff because we're the smallest county in the smallest populated state up here with the Cabinet Mountains and the Yak Wilderness. And it so just, 
you're a what, river uh, guy, so. what's the town that i would look for on the map you would look for libby l-i-b-b-y okay we're actually 90 minutes just northwest of the flathead valley of glacier Kalispell. Okay. Yeah. everybody flies yeah. into yeah so i believe and, my uh I, my son spent some time up in there uh because he worked right outside of glacier for uh, okay for a summer and um that's yeah that'd be great libby I've I've heard a good bit about about that area. Yeah, and, and Wayne and I have talked about this, but the um the river I'm on, um, the Kootenai, is where they film River Wild that Meryl okay. Streep is in. Oh, yeah. What a great in. book that was. That was kind of a crazy run, you know. And then they yeah. had the film always about the fire smoke jumpers. But the recent one was they had to film the opening um segments of Revenant. Um oh. you know, there was an Academy Award winner. All those opening scenes like where he got attacked by the bear. No, not quite there. But when they were where they were bringing all the stock and trying to get them onto the boats, and okay. they were taking Indian flaming arrows and kind of the Smoky River, yeah, um, and climbing, you know, getting the pelts up off the river when they had to get high ground. That was all filmed here because I guess the winter in Argentina wasn't cooperating, so they were shut down for six months. They found this location, and then the funny story about it is that we haven't shared that you'll appreciate. So, Wayne, we haven't had this conversation wayne but we were in the middle of our big fire campaign where we had like nine massive wildfires i think this was 2017 so everything was smoked out we had roads blocked they filmed it under all those roadblocks during the fires to kind of keep the crowds out and they did it very quietly here um and then they did a premiere in our little one screen theater the night before it premiered nationally and it was packed you know so all of us the trappers the anglers the hunters uh, you know, the loggers were packing this thing, looking at this thing to dissect it for accuracy. <laughs> you know, but the fact that it was filmed here and that it, you know, had some of those tones was kind of cool. But that's the river that's just a great one I'd like to take you on. And we'll we'll make that happen. You got an open invite. Do you, do you float that or do you wait it yeah. or what do you do? Yeah, we float it. We wait it. We shore fish it. We do a lot. There's two really good river uh, outfitter guides here that'll float it for us. Um, there's also some holes we can just go in right up the shore. Um, we can fly it, we can spin it, whatever we're going to do. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, Great. right time of year, good, good opportunities. So. Okay. Well maybe, uh, maybe we can make that happen late summer or early fall. That'd be fantastic. Awesome. I'd love that. Awesome. Awesome.